0: Greetings and welcome to another episode of the Hammer and Umpire podcast. As always, I'm your host Kevin Weber. It's been an interesting summer so far. The heat is definitely ratcheting up, and I hope uh, if you're working some games, uh, you're taking precautions. I know if you're working in the South, you guys are used to that stuff down there, so you just do it all the time. But for us people in the Midwest and the Northeast and the the cold weather states. We definitely have to uh, adjust to that and make sure we hydrate and do all those kind of things. I entitled our episode, uh, Can You Take the Heat? Um, And, uh, you know, it kind of goes obviously with uh, the summer weather. That's what I was thinking about as well. But also just uh, the concept of moving up the ladder and um, getting some opportunities that uh, you maybe were hoping for as you started to umpire. You know, when we start umpiring, I know most of us are, we do it because we love the game and uh, we love the challenge. Um, It's nice to make some money too, but we certainly have some goals and some competitive goals that we want to uh, achieve, you know, to, you know, get to a state championship game or get to some kind of playoffs or get to a particular tournament uh, or get to a certain level of baseball that you can work. And those are all legitimate things that we all can uh, strive for, and I think that's good. you got to keep them in perspective, of course, and uh, understand where you fall in the umpire food chain. Um, that's important. you got to be realistic about things. Uh, in this episode, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the um, opportunities I've had this year. Um, moving up the umpire food chain, I guess, if you, if you want to go with that. Also, I've got three different emails from listeners on different topics that I'm going to uh, share with you and talk about uh, my responses to what they were asking me. And I, I hopefully you'll find that uh, fairly interesting. And um, I hope that you enjoy that and you can sit back and listen to a new episode of The Hammer. An umpire podcast. Well, I was pretty lucky this past season, 2022, with uh, some of the assignments I was given. Pretty blessed. Um, I was able to work a few uh, D1. Games, which um, I was very happy to do, and things went pretty smoothly with those. <clears throat> and also, um, I was able to work two postseason tournaments. Uh, first, I worked the uh, 2022 Gleeck tournament in Gary, Indiana. Now, the Gleeck is the uh, Division II NCAA Division II. Uh, league here in Michigan that also has a team in Indiana. So they held it at the, the very, very nice minor league stadium in Gary, Indiana. Now, Gary, Indiana itself has its issues, but the stadium and, and the, the tournament hosts and everything um, did a really nice job. And we had several games over um, Thursday to Sunday and went all the games. We even had the if game worked four-man for all the games, and I was uh, lucky to be part of a tremendous crew with some great umpires, um, and uh, learned a lot of things from them. Uh, we did a did a pretty nice job. I, I, I think we um, got our calls right. Um, we were good on our rotations. We weren't always perfect, but uh, maybe a little late here and there or something. But uh, overall, we did a heck of a job. And... Um, I think that the the teams themselves were were pleased with the umpiring efforts. Um, It was an interesting experience because I had never uh, done a tournament of that caliber before. And um, so I I definitely, you know, it was a step up in the competition level and the intensity level, like they talk about with postseason. You know, you had to call a little bit tighter strike zone. You had to make sure you were on top of situations a little bit more that might develop because these teams have been playing each other all spring and they know each other and there's certainly some potential animosity between some of them. So, you know, you got to take care of business and do the things you had to do. If you, know, you needed a ball strike warning, you needed to do that. If you needed to warn a player or something, you needed to do that. Um, didn't have any objections or anything. Um, like I said, I worked four man, so I had one plate um that I did and I worked third, second, and first two times each. And um gained some valuable experience there that I hope um serves me well down the road when I get some other opportunities and maybe work some four man. Um so that was um fun and um interesting and uh, definitely a great experience and like all postseason tournaments, you might get a chance to work at whatever level it might be. One of the best things about it is that you develop a, a bond with those guys that you were on the crew with. Because, you know, you kind of um, fight through all that stuff together. You know, whatever situations you have, you're hanging out together, you're at the hotel, you go out to eat. And, uh, you know, you're the other team out there, so you, you kind of develop that. Those are like a special thing that you have that... Um, you know, you really only understand if you're just part of it and all that. So then, uh, a week later from that, I was able to work the, uh, NCAA regional in, uh, one of them anyway, in, uh, Wisconsin. And, um, that was a lot of fun as well. And a great experience, you know, they put us up in a nice hotel and, you know, the hosts there treated us well. We, um, Worked three-man the first couple of days and then four-man on the final day, which was a little tricky sometimes to switch back and forth from that, but we managed to do it. I thought we got our rotations well uh, in that tournament as well. Again, not always perfect, maybe a little slow on a couple of them. I thought we nailed our calls. We had a couple um, fiery coaches that we had to deal with, but um, you know, no ejections or anything like that. But we did pretty well with all of that, and that was a tremendous experience too. Um, our crew chief uh, was a guy that was uh, ended up working the the D three College World Series, and um, you know it was interesting to see how he handled things. I uh, had a couple guys from Iowa, a couple guys from Wisconsin, and then uh, me, you know, from from Michigan. So that was tremendous. Um, I hope that I get another opportunity to do that and maybe move forward in that tournament. Uh, it's goal of mine to maybe try to get to the. D three cows world series at some point that'd be great I know it's tough you know there's no guarantees out there who knows if I even get a regional next year you know I hope I do and then you gotta probably do that enough I guess and maybe get a super regional and then maybe get lucky and, and get that cows world series at some point but you know the the D three or the maybe the NAIA is something that I think is a, a, a reasonable goal that i might be able to achieve i don't know about d2 you know you never know i guess d1 i know it's it's very tough to to get postseason and any of the guys end up in omaha nowadays from what i hear if you didn't work at least double a in the pros or higher your chances are very very slim uh, of making it past maybe regionals um I, i mean i don't think you'll have much of a chance to get like a super or the College world series at that level. So I I know that's the case. I'm not looking at that. I mean, man, if I can just, it's great. If I can just get any kind of D one games or any kind of D one series, I'm happy with whatever I might get. I know I'm pretty lucky. Um, yeah, you know, I know I've worked hard at it, but there's a lot of guys that work hard at it too. So, you know, you got to be appreciative of the opportunities you get and you got to be ready for it. Um, and that kind of goes with, you know, the, the title of this particular episode, you know. Are you ready for the heat, right? Are you ready to step it up when you get an opportunity? Um, I can't say, like, I was I was pretty confident that, you know, I, I could handle the, the GLIAC or the NCAA regional, um, but you don't know until you do it. And when you get those chances, you can't just, uh, you know, say you don't want to do it. Um, because you're not ready. I mean, you might not get a chance again. So you've got to be ready to step up, and uh, be confident. Fake it till you make it, I guess, and go and do the best job that you can. I felt like I did that. I wasn't perfect in any any of the situations, but I thought I held my own pretty well and um, and, and and did all that I could. Uh, to get myself through the situation and make the most out of it. And then, you know, hopefully become a little bit better umpire because of it too. Definitely have a little bit more confidence because of it. So those were some tremendous opportunities. I I hope they lead to some other things as well down the road. You know, I just, um, just turned 50 years old here in May. So I know that there's less days ahead of me for umpiring than there, there have been behind me. So, you know, you take the, the, opportunities you get you run with them and you hope that it works out pretty well you know if I can umpire for 10 more years I, I consider that pretty good and, you know maybe I'll get lucky and go a little bit longer but 10 more years would be tremendous um, if I'm staying healthy and everything and we'll see how it all goes so I thought that you guys might uh, appreciate a little update on some of those things and what I've uh, been able to uh, accomplish a little bit this year and And obviously some of those experiences come through here in the podcast. Listener Dan Steinberg sent me an email uh, with a few questions on it. He's a first-year umpire. I'm not real sure where Dan's from. I think he might be from Minnesota because one of the questions he had is uh, he wanted my thoughts on this uh, post that was entitled Letter to Umpire Assigner Minnesota Youth athletic services. So maybe Dan's from Minnesota? You have to let me know, Dan. Anyway, I read over the letter, and uh, to summarize very quickly for those listeners out there that have not looked at it, it's uh, an umpire that's been umpiring for you know maybe 30 years on and off that uh, had a bad situation in a particular game with some very poor sportsmanship. Um, also believing that a coach instructed a catcher not to catch a ball, which hit him, and he was injured and such and he decided to to give it up you know and, and he wrote a letter to his assigner saying that that was enough he, he's not going to deal with that anymore it's kind of hard for me to you know give you thoughts on that I mean it's sad I know those kind of things happen um, and of course we all know that we're in an official shortage in every sport and it's certainly just as bad or maybe the worst in in baseball because baseball is tough to do. It's an expensive sport to officiate and um, games are long and there's all kinds of issues that guys have to deal with. But uh, nonetheless, uh, that's the reality of the situation now. I know this last year was the toughest year I've ever dealt with, um, getting umpires for the high school baseball games that I sign. And so far this summer, for the uh, summer games that I do and and sign, um, it's been very, very challenging and probably will continue to be until it's all over with. It's, it's been, you know, it's worn me down a little bit, I have to say, you know. Um, you kind of try to keep catching that next wind, but, you know, it's tough. Will it be better next year? Probably not. I don't know. I, I hope I'm wrong. Um, I'm sure sometime it will be. Of course, you know, we know there are many factors in why, you um, We have official shortages and umpire shortages, and certainly sportsmanship is right there near the top in the way things are conducted um, and guys get burned out and all those kind of things, that's there. But also, you know, just the the general economy, for example. When the economy is going well, which I know some people, you know, you're going to have your political thoughts, but it's not hard to get a job right now. If you want a job, you can get one that probably pays pretty well. You don't have to get, like, a second job if you don't want one. And a lot of times when people have to get a second job, when the economy is poor, their, their hours got cut or something like that, they'll start officiating. They'll start umpiring. And uh, we get more guys. So the economy's been up a bit, and uh, we've seen guys go away. Of course, we know guys are aging out as well, and that's a factor in it all. And um, eventually that's going to, you know, like things go in cycles. just like our, you know, stock market and things like that. So, um... We'll see how it goes I hope it turns for the better sooner rather than later but I don't really see I still feel like I'm in the middle of the tunnel I don't see the light right yet so um, we'll see how it goes I guess but that is what it is and so those of us that are in it we've got to stick it out and do the best that we can and um and that in you know until things get a little bit better and and there will be opportunities for guys to stick it out as well. So that's always a good thing, I guess. Anyway, Dan had two situations here that he wanted me to comment on. So I will. Um, first, he hit, he had a 10-U game. And he said he had a runner on second. And the batter takes up a, a ball on a pass ball. Obviously, he got by the catcher somehow. And the batter uh, leaves the batter's box. And he wanders over between the catcher and third base. Which caused... Batter interference. Now, not particularly descriptive there, Dan. I don't know exactly what happened. Did he get in the way of him trying to get the ball? Um, Did he get in the way while he was trying to uh, make a throw to third, you know, hinder him? Uh, I'm not sure. But nonetheless, you ruled, obviously, in your judgment, that it was uh, interference. So we'll go with that. Um, And your question was is the batter out or what happens to the runner with one out? Well, remember, the, really the only situation we have where a runner is out is when we have two outs, the batter interferes from a runner coming from third, right? On some kind of situation, he's running home for whatever reason. And uh, in that situation, we, we would rule the the runner out. Otherwise, when the batter interferes, we rule the batter out because, you know, he interfered, so the, he's out, all right? And any runners that are on base have to go back to the base that they occupied before the interference, okay? So, um, runner on first, guy trying to steal second, interference, batter's out, guy goes back to first base. Same situation though, let's say we have first and third, which we get frequently, interference on the batter, and they were trying to double steal. Guy on first going to second, guy on third's coming home, and let's say there's no or zero, uh, or no outs or one out, then uh, both those runners would have to go back to third base and first base respectively, right? So, um, if we had two outs and a first and third situation, the interference, then we would rule that runner coming from third out. You know that would be that situation. Okay. Uh, the trickier thing is when we got a guy stealing third, right? <clears throat> kind of like what you had here. Um, still, the batter is ruled out, and the runner would go back to second base. But we get it's trickier because um, sometimes you, you, when we have a right-handed batter in particular. The batter will step back, thinking he 's getting out of the way and but unfortunately he 's getting right in the middle of everything and interfering with the throw so basically a batter just needs you know to hold his ground and and not be like you know moving his arms or legs or bad or something like that to try to impede the catcher or hinder him and if he doesn 't do that, if he just kind of stays where he 's at and doesn 't move, the catcher you know needs to move around him and make that throw um and uh if if that 's the case that's fine you 'll get an argument. If a kid backs up and then he, you know, remember whether it's a guy throwing the third or second or whatever, catcher doesn't have to throw it. There doesn't have to be contact. Um, If he just hinders him from making a play on that runner, that's enough to get interference. And we probably don't get it called enough. Um, We probably should get that called more. But, uh, you know, uh, if you get an argument, you just say, in my judgment, he hindered his ability, you know, in my judgment, he hindered his ability to make a throw or he hindered his ability to make a play. It's your judgment, you know, and he hindered him. And it doesn't have to be contact. So um, stand by that and um, you'll have the call right. You'll probably get somebody telling you you're wrong. That's usually the case when you get a big argument like that. They don't know the rule and um, they'll get all on you and everything. But you, you know you got it right. So that's the important thing, all right? So um, that's the situation there. Hopefully that helps out a little bit. The other one you had is a batter throws a bat. Is he out or is it a warning under high school rule 331C? It's a warning under Little League rule in the league and district that my kids play in. If you throw a bat, you're out. Well, you have to go by whatever rule uh, rule book you're going with. You know, if it's Little League and they're out, then that's what it is, you know? I mean, that's the rules you're playing by, Right. It's high school, then you give a warning. Then um, if the kid comes up again and throws a bat again, then you you better you better do something about it. You know you better call him out. All right. Um, for me, um, I don't get too worked up about that because I frequently don't see kids trying to do it on purpose. So they're just being careless, right? So let's say there's a ground ball and the kid kind of whips the bat back and it hits the catcher in the shin guard. He doesn't get hurt, but you know that's not very nice. And the kids run it up, they throw them out at first. I frequently will say something to a batter, no matter what level I'm working. Like, hey, what's the bat, man? Um, mainly because I'm trying to look out for my catcher because they're hopefully doing a good job in protecting me back there. And uh, I want to make sure that, you know, bats are not getting thrown at my catchers. So um, if you do that, usually that takes care of it. But if it's a situation where somebody's really being careless or they're just being spiteful or something, then um, give the warning and then, you know, Do what you got to do, okay? The other thing you've got on here is um, any advice for your two boys that are 15 and have three years of umpiring experience at Little League and some lower-level travel ball and such, which is great. I'm glad those guys are out there. I've got some of those kind of guys working for me as well. And uh, hopefully they keep going. Um, Obviously, you know, know, if they can get to a camp and do different things or, or learn different things from veteran umpires about positioning and getting calls, you know, more calls right that's great but to me game management's the biggest thing that they can learn um it's tough for a teenager to go out on a field and there's an adult coach and sometimes adult coaches will try to bully those teenagers and uh, questioning them so they have to use the tools that they um have provided to them like giving warnings ball strike warnings or anything else that might deserve a warning following through with those ejecting if they need to you know And uh, being professional about it and not getting too emotional, but taking care of business and standing on the ground and not taking any any, uh, garbage from anybody out there. So um, as a person, you know, as a father and a person that umpires yourself, I'm sure you understand that. And that's probably one of the biggest things that you can uh, get to them and talk about those kind of situations. Those typical things that happen frequently, you know, sometimes almost every game with certain um, coaches. And um, you might even just know certain coaches that you deal with frequently, and how you're going to handle those. And uh, if you do it the right way, then um, it'll make things a lot easier, and that'll keep them umpiring as well, because they won't have to, uh, you know, you know, feel bad about themselves if they can't handle the situation. When you feel like somebody's putting you down and bullying you, you're gonna you're gonna stop doing it. All right. So that's my advice for for your boys there, and and have them keep umpire, man because those kind of things those are the kind of things that you can use in your life too you know as you move on and and have to deal with challenging people um the skills that you can learn uh, on a baseball field as an umpire can definitely translate to things in your life as as your kids grow up and, and uh, become young men all right so thanks for the email dan uh, i appreciate it and hopefully um that kind of hit the spot for you and uh, and let me know where you're from and you know when you get a chance before history is written oh! it 's played Tinelli, Neister, before it 's frozen in time it 's fought one shift at a time before it 's etched in silver it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. got a message from Kevin Baines and it says, I'm a 62-year-old guy just getting into umpiring after coaching sons and grandsons. I'm Only gotten about hundred games under my belt, mostly 12U and U Triple S A. When working the bases and a two-man crew, I've always thought that it made sense to work from the C position with the man on first. We see a lot of balks and a lot of throws to first. I've done it a few times, and it seems like it is easier. Watch for the balk. If there is a throw to first, I'm already looking in that direction. I pick up a steal quickly and my field of view is great for ball put into play how badly would an instructor beat me up if i ever brought this up um at a clinic not that i would and not that i could find a clinic in my area yeah i'm not sure where you're from kevin you have to let me know anyway thanks for your time just find your podcast a week ago so and he's going back and listening to things okay well um i don't think that would go over very well um Umpire mechanics, um, whether you're looking at like high school mechanics, college mechanics, professional mechanics, and two-man, we are in the B position. The main reason we're in the B position, remember, is uh, because our most likely play that we're going to have the boss put in play um, is probably play at first base, right? Ground ball, and and they're going to throw it over the first in some fashion or another. And so we're a little bit closer there. And so that's a little bit better than being in the C position. So that's our main priority. Also, when you are in the B position, you are closer to that play at first base. You're not, you know, several more feet away on the other side of the pitching mound. So that's a more believable call, whether the guy's safe or out, because you're closer to it. Um, If you are in B or C, you should be, you know, hands on knees, um looking at the pitcher and you know kind of straight toward the the plate right you know lined up toward the 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 batter and the catcher and and the umpire and everything there so i don't really feel like you're looking at first base better for a potential balk. i mean i feel like you can look either way you're either looking a little to your right or a little to your left whether you're in the b or c position so i don't know if i really um I don't really agree with that necessarily. But um, if you're in deep sea, I, I think, you know, what you should not be, you know, deep sea being like you're facing the foul line, you're parallel to the foul line, which um, that's more of a three and four man thing, um, mainly more of a three man thing. You know, you you shouldn't be in that anyway. So you shouldn't be that far back because you should be, you know, roughly about halfway between the pitcher's plate and second base straddling the edge of the, the the dirt of the mound, the imaginary line there, whether you're in C or B. So that would be your proper positioning. You know, if you um, are able to see some minor league guys work or, or others there, or maybe some college guys as well, those you guys usually step up and take like a, you know, get step up and turn and, and get a look at first base on a pick play. Because um, you don't have so much time to do that. And, you know, you're looking for where the most likely spot of that of that play is going to be, which is usually on the, you know, right field side of the, um, you know, the front of that bag there. You know, that's facing second base, because if you have a smart base runner, they're going to dive back in or whatever and try to get their hand as far away from where the first baseman is, which is to the, you know, the outside of the bag there. So that's where your attention should try to be if you're looking over there. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't quite agree with that. I mean, I, I understand your reasoning. I, I see what you're saying, Kevin, that it might seem that way. Also, um, your throws and such, um, you might, you know, there's uh, advantages and disavenges to being on the C side or the B side when taking a, um, a play at second base on a steal. And, uh, in general, unless you can work more toward the middle, it's better to be on the B side and be able to work toward, you know, you're automatically going to be in the middle. The glove's going to be at you and the play's right in front of you. Whereas if you're on the C side, you're more easily to get blocked out by that infielder, particularly a shortstop, but that infielder, um, making that play. Okay. We can go into more detail about that, but, um, there is, um, some reasoning behind all of that, okay? So, bottom line, uh, I believe you should be on the B side, okay? Uh, there's a there's um, there's a lot of time in history that has gone into proper mechanics, and they've changed over the years, and I'm sure they'll continue to change here and there as well. But uh, the general consensus from a lot of guys that are a lot more knowledgeable about Umpire and the Me have concluded that the best spot that we have come up with right now uh when the guy's on first base and two man is in the B position. So I would stick with that. Okay. Um it might be different for, you know, a non ninety foot, sixty foot, six inch kind of field if you're working some lower level games and stuff. Um you know maybe on a 12 U field that sometimes could be possible. I understand that. But I think you should, you know, try to get yourself as used to as possible the B position. Okay? Well, hopefully that helps out. I appreciate your your question. And um, it was definitely something interesting to think about. All right? So I got an email from Kevin Freenia. Another Kevin sending an email. Must be a popular uh, umpire name, I guess. Anyway, Kevin's from southern New Jersey. So I appreciate your email, Kev. Uh, He says, I found your podcast. I'm really enjoying it. This is my second year umpiring at the high school level, and I'm starting to get some lower-level varsity games. Something I haven't dealt with in the past is maintenance of the lineup cards. Can you review our responsibilities and offer any tips to keep things clear and concise in the heat of the battle? Thanks. Keep up the great work. All right. So, um, you know, there's different ways you can, you know, do your lineup cards, and I, I I do feel like you gotta kind of find your own method that makes sense to you. Um, there might be a possibility down the line if you had a game that was uh, stopped and was going to be picked up later, uh, that somebody might have to decipher your lineup cards a little bit. So, you know, that would be good if they were clear, but that doesn't happen too often. All right, it's usually you that has to figure things out. So, um first you should be taking lineup cards. Even if it's a game that doesn't seem like it's that big a deal or something like that. And since they give you some lineup cards because you never know when you're gonna have some batting out of order situation or whatever. And if you don't have an official lineup card, it's very hard to rule on those situations. You gotta go to the home scorebook and you're just gonna have a big circus act going on. Okay, so do yourself a service and you know if they come up there and they don't have one say hey can you write one down for me i mean you want it there to make it official that's not really what the rule book says but have them get you something all right also remember technically when it's a batting out of order situation it's the last name of the player yeah we do a lot of things on our lineup cards most things with the number number 14 is pitching number 22 is going into play short that kind of stuff we write that stuff down but when it When we cut to the chase, if there's an issue, it's the name of the kid. If they had the wrong number for Smith, it doesn't matter. If somebody comes and says, hey, 22 sitting It's supposed to be 24. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, he just wore a different jersey because his had blood on it or something. I don't know why, you know, whatever. That's fine. It's about the uh, name, okay? If a coach... Uh, gives you a lineup and like he has the wrong number next to the guy by accident for some reason doesn't matter just make a correction It's the name that matters. Okay, so um You need to first when you get the lineup cards at your plate meeting make sure that they're proper They got the right number of players uh, if they're using a DH They've got it listed correctly a lot of times I will circle the DH, you know and make sure I've got it Say, so, hey This person is DH for them in this spot. I see that there And, you know, confirm that kind of stuff. Um, Frequently, I like to know the name of the catcher. Sometimes I'll ask if it seems appropriate. But a lot of times I won't or I'll know ahead of time if I look up some rosters and such. Okay. Um, On the lineup cards, you know, um, you should come up with your method. A lot of times if, you know, there's in the second spot um, and there's a, a new guy coming in and he's number 22, i just put number 22 and then whatever he's doing shortstop, four, you know, dash four, fourth inning, or something like that when he came in, all right? Those kind of things. I don't write the last names because I don't know them, you know, and they're usually not listed on, and sometimes they are listed at like higher level colleges. They'll have their own printed out, and some high schools will do that too where they'll list all the kids, but a lot of times they don't, so you just got to put the number. If you've got a new pitcher coming in, especially if it's DH, it's easy. Sometimes you can list it at the bottom. You put the number, what inning he came in, pitching, you know, 6, then whatever you want to do. So you have it all listed down there. If you're working games that have courtesy runners and things like that, then you should, you got to write those down as well, right? So you know, a lot of times I'll put like CR C, like courtesy runner catcher, then I'll put number four, whatever it might be. CR P, pitcher, right? Number 13, you know, whatever it might be. So I know that I write it, I might write it anywhere on my lineup card, usually at the top someplace. Got to keep track of conferences on there. That's different for different levels. If you work in high school ball like you are, federation, they get their three conferences. It's pretty straight up. So you just write down, you know, conference, second inning, you know, put number one batter, you know, whatever it is, and and then you should make sure you're keeping track and telling the coach when he comes off the field when the conference has ended. um You know, let's say the coach is Joel. Joel, that's your first, right? And, you know, if it comes out a couple innings later, Joel, second conference. um, If you have a press box and things like that, a lot of times you'll point, you know, you'll point to the dog, you know, two, give them a number sign two, tell them this is second. You can point up there as well, or, you know, signal up toward the press box that their second. That's what you're supposed to do. If you feel that's appropriate, you should do that. If you're making changes, you should, uh, you know, write it down. If it's a new pitcher, whenever he's coming in, or if he's starting an inning, um, then you give a little wave, with your lineup card or whatever, or just a wave with your hand or something at the press box, if there is one, all right, and then point at who's coming in. You point at the pitcher. He's coming in. If there's a new first baseman, you wave there. Point at first base. Hey, new first baseman. Whether they announce it or not, that's up to them, you know, but you told them. Um, If you want to, you know, I know sometimes at certain levels of games you try to tell the other team. It's not really our responsibility to be the you know, you know, announcer, communicator person, it's, you know, uh, for all other positions, you, you might, you know, a lot of times they'll do it themselves, but you might tell them particularly when there's a new pitcher, Hey, we got a new arm here. 14's pitching now. I might just kind of stand for, I'm not going to walk over to the dugout. Okay. Don't walk over the dugout and say, Hey, um, they have number 14 in a shortstop. And then we got a new pitcher. It's left fielder came in. A new pitched Don't do all that stuff. You can just say we got a new pitcher. If they're switching positions or a guy comes in and it's unannounced, the guy's in the lineup. If he comes at the bat, he's fine. I mean, it's like sometimes people get worked up because it's like, oh, that guy came in last inning to play third base and now he's leading off the inning. Oh, they didn't tell us he was playing third base. Well, it doesn't matter. You know, an unannounced sub, um, substitute is legal. You know, as soon as he's in there, okay. Um, Betting out of order stuff is what we're more worried about, but there's no penalty and stuff for that. It's nice if they tell you. If you see that, you can tell them, hey, new third baseman over there now, if you want to do that. But don't be uh, getting in the habit of like walking over into the dugouts because only bad stuff usually happens when we're over there by the dugout. So don't do that. Don't be one of those kind of guys, all right? I don't know if that's what you're looking for, uh, Kevin. Um, Those are a few suggestions i have off top of my head there's some specific things you wanted me to talk about um then i certainly would go into more detail i know some guys have very specific methods on how they do their lineups i have a lineup card holder that i put my stuff in i have a a nice uh, red pen that fits in there nicely that's um you know writes well and writes well even if it's wet and things like that so you got to kind of get the right stuff to make it easier on yourself um but you know do whatever seems to work well for you and makes it manageable pencil and stuff doesn't really work Um, red usually works pretty well because most guys don't always write stuff in red so it's easier for you to keep track of what you've got going on all right once again thanks for the email appreciate it and i hope that that was helpful have it. Another episode of the Hammer and Umpire podcast is in the books. I hope that you enjoyed it and uh, obviously if you got to this point you listened all the way through. So thank you. Um, I'm going to be doing some umpiring this summer. I work some summer collegiate games out in Muskegon and I pick up a few tournament games and men's league games during the year. I think it's good to be sharp And uh, I think it's good to continue to grow as an umpire. And some of the things you got to do is during the summer. Um, I know I've grown immensely during the summer as an umpire because you get thrown into a bunch of situations that maybe you don't always encounter during your regular spring season. And, uh, you know, hopefully you handle those well. But if you don't, I think that's a better stage to uh, learn from some mistakes than during your um, more high intense, high level games that you might be able to work. Um, I plan to go down to our Michigan uh, high school state finals and semifinals. I've got a few uh, umpiring uh, colleagues that are working those, and I'm uh, interested to see how they do. I'm sure they'll do fine, and I just like watching it because they work four-man down there and seeing how they do. It's a great atmosphere that they have, Um, so it's kind of fun. So I'm sure in my next episode I might uh, report out a little bit on what was happening down at the... Uh, Michigan High School Athletic Association state finals, which they hold at Michigan State University in East Lansing here. They've done that for the last several years. So until then, keep calling strikes.